properties are cozy and snugged. We own many properties. Why is that important? Because that's one way how to make money. And that's one way how to feed your family. I love it. Good job. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Shelf Life Money Part 2. I want to appreciate everybody for uh, supporting me on my initial launch. Response has been tremendous. I really, really appreciate it. Please get at me on uh, the socials, BLK underscore wall underscore podcast. Give me a follow. Give me some feedback. Let's keep in mind I'm an artist, so I'm sensitive about my you know the rest. We haven't reached two minutes yet. And this episode is a continuation. So if you're hopping in on this for the first time, you're going to need to go back to Shelf Life Money Part 1 at least to figure out where we're at. Uh, I move around a lot. I travel a lot. So if there's any kind of sound differences, this episode was recorded in a couple different studios. Um, But I think they all sound great, to be honest with you, or else I wouldn't have chose them. Um, There's no corrections from the last episode. So just give a listen. Appreciate y'all. All right. Part two. Uh, shelf life money. Let's go ahead and get into it. Two minute rule is in effect because this isn't uh, technically another episode. But it's a part two. So. With shelf life money comes responsibility. And we're going to talk about that responsibility right now. That responsibility started before you started listening to this podcast. And that responsibility starts before any of this uh, insight starts, right? Because you have to actually get to what we're talking about safely. So that's the number one thing. I need everyone to be safe. I need everyone to follow your local, county, and federal law. And I need everything I'm saying, you guys understand, is not advice, it's also uh, a, not a blueprint to launder money. It's not a blueprint or advice to do anything illegal. Check all your IRS codes. Consult with any uh, CPAs, lawyers, or any type of protect yourself uh, people before you do anything, especially if you're living this type of life. That we're talking about because we're targeted, right? People like us are targeted. Athletes, independent workers, private contractors, money men, money women. We're targeted. So make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's. That's our responsibility. Okay. So that's responsibility one. Now, let's pick it up. We're going to go through the A, B, C kind of steps of how to take it from your raw commodity cash to being able to purchase an asset, right? And what's called a real asset. So when you go and you sit down and you close on real estate, I don't know about everything else, but on definitely real estate and you close When you read the fine print, which we should always read, 
it's going to talk about something and call it real property. And when you read that, it should ring to you. Because if this is real property, then what's everything else, right? It's like the natural question. And that, that, that stuck with me. So now we're trying to take this commodity of cash, because that's what cash is, is a commodity. So when we're watching, you know, other places and they're talking these fancy words, commodity is cash. It's one of the commodities. Sugar, uh, soybean, wheat, all these other things, commodities. So now you take this raw commodity of cash and how do we get it to the place of starting to purchase a real property, a real asset? So I'm going to walk you through a couple steps, a couple things that I've done, you know, that once again are not illegal. It's not money laundering, right? I'm not. So if, if you're if you have to break any rules or regulations to do what I'm suggesting or I tell you I've done, then 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 you're you, you're fucking up. Okay, let's just not do that. But this is something that can help you transition and make that translation when it's time to talk to these people that are not like us. Okay. One thing. I remember I had a bunch of cash, a bunch being like, you know, 5,000, whatever, which is a bunch to me, still is to this day. And for some reason, I think I was like waiting for a check. There was some kind of like, you you know how shit go. You know what I'm saying? Like you never really, it never comes when it's supposed to come. Such and such supposed to drop some money off or I was waiting for a check. Who Who knows what the story was at this point? But I needed to close tomorrow. Like there was no more extensions. There was no more nothing. And this piece of property I really, really needed. It's actually a 1425 Rome Drive. I still own it to this day. And that piece of property I had to have. The view is amazing. West side of Atlanta, Beltline, gentrification, everything you could possibly imagine as a buy and hold investor that you needed. But my my money had fell through last minute, essentially. And I'm getting a story that the money will be here and, you know, tomorrow, next day, whatever. You know how that shit go. So really call it within a week or else, you know, there's going to be some problems if my money's not here in a week. That That's where we was at with it. And so I'm going to go ahead and be honest. This is this is a way to go ahead and turn A, B to C. Because I had went from A which is, you know, getting the earnest money down that they take, you know, money orders for that. And just a little piece of game. The postal money orders are the best money orders. Go right into your post office. Thousand dollars max. You can get a post office money order. Max is out of a thousand bucks. They're the cheapest ones around and everybody takes them. They're good as cash. OK, so as long as you get your earnest money on under contract for under a thousand bucks. You're good. You just go to the post office. Get yourself a money order. Nothing to talk about. Give it to your agent. Send it to the title company. You're under contract. Now, when it comes to actually closing, it gets a little trickier because if you have to do a wire transfer, that means the money needs to be in a bank account. Eh. Right? Eh. That's not necessarily our friend all the time. So how do we take that money out the safe? And get it to the title company. 
right? Because you should always close with a title company. Because the title company is like the middleman. Like when we're shooting dice, the dude who we all trust is holding money. Or we're like shooting, you know, baskets for, for cash. You always got one guy that we all trust that holds the money. That's the title company. So always, always, especially in your early transactions, people, please use the title company. And the buyer should always choose the title company because you're paying once again, right? So my money was late. I needed to make this transaction. My baby mama owned her car outright. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Now, it was a hoopty, you know, nothing crazy like what we drive now. But she owned it outright in cash. And we took our ass down to the title company. The little payday loan, uh, title max type shit. And we got a title loan on her car. And they gave us the money right there. And it was a few thousand. It was a few thousand we were short. You know, because obviously sat there, talked to them, asked them, you know, how much, yada, 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 will we get for it? They appraise it, the whole thing. And so, thank God she was nice enough and believed in, once again, the vision enough to put her neck in the car on the line. Right? So now, once again, if you're not part of this life, you might look at that a little crazy. Like, what do you mean you had your baby mama put her car up? for the Man, listen, bro. Around tax time, there's a whole lot of us who got our baby mama as a silent investor. Okay? I'm just here on the fucking uh, cast to just say this shit out loud. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, did you get her money back? Did you have something that she can hold when your ass gets locked up? Or you fuck off? That's a whole nother question. Right? That's a whole nother question. I was doing this to buy real property. So the money comes in now, right? They do the appraisal. They do, 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 do. They cut us the check. Now, what I didn't know at the time, but I know now, is that when you're using a title company and you're closing out on a transaction, they create something that's called an escrow account for you, right? They legally have to do that. They cannot just hold it in their like uh, business account. They have to create a whole nother account that's yours for this transaction only. And you can put money in that escrow account in whatever amount you want up until the transaction, essentially, right? With some wiggle room. So you figure out the loopholes in that. Legally. Now, we took that check from the selling of the car or the, the title loan because we didn't sell the car because we drove off with it. So the title loan that we got from the, the, the title loan place of the car. And we signed that actual check over to the title company, right? So it was seamless. We, that money never went into our bank account, nothing. We just took that check, signed it over to the title company, put our, uh, our escrow account like reference number on there, right? So they know where to put it. And then we dropped it off the title company. They took care of the rest, right? Along with the other money that we had that we took, you know, and put in the money orders and did other things, 
that was enough to be able to satisfy our burden for the transaction, right? So that's one way where sometimes you're going to have to piece it together. Sometimes it's going to be like, you know, five different money orders to make up 5,000. Then you're going to have to have some other money here, some other money there, uh, some other money there. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to get to that goal of whatever you need to satisfy to purchase that property. Right. Don't be ashamed of how you got to do it. Another thing that I learned in that transaction is that if you put more money into that escrow account than what the purchase is for, you're going to get a check back for the balance. So layman's example, if you're buying a property for 20,000 and you put 22,000 into the escrow account just to cover like your, uh, your closing fees and all this other stuff and come to find out you don't need that extra 2000, they're going to refund that $2,000 back to you in a check under the title company's name. That is a hundred percent clean money. That is legal. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make sure that you put enough money in the escrow account to cover the whole transaction. So if you're purchasing something, purchasing something, you're going to need to put a little extra money in there to cover all your extra costs. Whatever amount you choose to put in extra is up to you, right? Do it. Do with that information what you want. Now, another example I have is the money order thing. I'm going to get into that a little bit more, just, just so we're clear. Anytime you purchase something or you lay out, call it more than $9,000 in cash, there is a piece of paper that needs to be filled out for the IRS that's going to have your information on it. Oh, trust and believe that's jewelry. That's anything that you purchase, even if they don't tell you they're doing it and they're not doing it in your face. Oh, they're doing it. And if they don't do it, you are a liability and this transaction is a liability. And therefore, don't do it. Right. Just don't do it. So just know that. So if you're purchasing things that are above ten thousand dollars, I need you to do your research on how to do those things correctly, right? I need you to do your research on how to do those things correctly, okay? So when you're going into the post office getting money orders, be smart. Don't go in there smelling crazy. Don't go in there looking crazy, right? Go in there handling business, because that's that's going to be a problem if you don't. So let's just let's be smart about that. The next thing that I want to talk to you guys about is setting up a corporate account, a business account. Right. That's I think sometimes that's something that's very scary. It was very scary for me. I'll be honest with you. Because a lot of times we don't really know what to do. We don't really know how to do it. We're just, we're going off of a lot of like hearsay and second and third hand information. Please check with whatever bank, you know, institution you're planning on using and get kind of like whatever your, your rules and regulations are on that. But at the end of the day, we really need to set up corporate accounts. So our corporate bank account, we got to fund it. It's very important. Right. 
But if you're anything like me, you get a little nervous with this type of stuff. I'll be honest with you. I'm scared. Well, y'all going to have to see. That's what I was talking about, that moving around shit. That, that's New York for you. Um, corporate bank accounts have to be funded in order for them to be real, right? But I don't like going into banks and kind of putting my face with my corporation. To me, that defeats the whole purpose of having a corporation, right? I start corporate entities so that I don't have to be the front man or be the face of it, so to speak. Um, I personally was scared to start my first real corporate bank account that I had like a, a real check to fund it with. So what I did, and I don't get paid for any of this. I don't get any advertising dollars. I looked on nerd wallet and they gave me all the options and I looked at stuff and they tell you what's good for what, what's bad for what, and you know, depending on whether you're like a online commerce per- commerce person or a real estate professional like myself, um, different banks are better for you, right? And I just didn't know that. So my story was is that um, I found out that the type of corporate account that you have, people treat your business differently, right? So. We went with American Express. And I noticed immediately, right, Quiet Flex. I noticed immediately that people treat you different when you check out with an American Express business card. They really do. And I and, and that's something I noticed, right? When we were conducting business and they ask you what your, your business card like number is, American Express has like a different kind of numbers. They know it's an American Express off rip. And they and they treat you different. So that's something to think about. But I didn't think we can get an American Express corporate account because my credit is so fucked up. Right. But come to find out a corp like a corporate business account is very different than a credit card. And when you put enough racks in that corporate credit, I mean, that corporate account, they start offering you credit cards. Under the business. I personally don't take them. You know, that's everybody does what they want to do. I'm not here to judge, but I'm just telling you, if you put 40, 50, 60, $100,000 in your corporate account, the bank treats you different. I'm just telling you. So when you're making your real estate sales or you're making any kind of sales, I suggest that you go on Nerd Wallet. And research different corporate accounts and what fits best for you, right? And then move from there. Now, part of the game is knowing the game, right? Now, you're going to have to keep a certain amount of money in that account, depending on what type of corporate account you have. Sometimes it's 5000 a month. Sometimes it's 15000 a month, right? And then they, they charge you if you don't hit that threshold essentially. So you got to look at that, but they want that money because they're going to take your money as it sits there and invest it. They just are. They're going to make money off of your money. That's why they're able to pay you interest and loan you out money. So just remember that if they're holding your money and working it and making money off of it, you should be doing the same thing. 
if you're holding money in your bank account or under your mattress or wherever you store it right now, if you're not making money off of it, you're not doing the game right. Because that's not what banks do. Banks won't just hold your money and not make money on it. You can forget that. Okay? So when we start our corporate account, make sure we fund it. Right? Let's make sure we've chosen the right bank for our business model. And for me, I didn't need any, like, locations. I don't have any cash drops. So, like, ATMs and all that didn't matter to me. That's why I went with what I went with. But other people are different. So you got to really research that. But also remember what you pull out your wallet to pay for your stuff for your business. People are going to look at that, right? And they're going to essentially link the validity of your brand and your business with that. So keep that in mind, right? So don't get a janky promoter bank business card and think that people are going to treat you right. Okay? Just keep that in mind. That's now the, your one of your first impressions of your business when you go to conduct business is who you choose to bank with. So just keep that in mind, y'all. So demographics. It's a really, uh, to me, it seemed like a fancy word. Demographic, right? They always say in real estate, um, location, 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 right? That's like one of those big things. But... excuse me, but most of the time when I've heard about location, location, location and demographic, they always are trying to sell you something, you know, like the agent is trying to sell you something like the highest price thing they have on their listings. And they're telling you about the location. They're telling you about the schools. They're telling you about all this, right? Which is important if you're doing, um, high end rentals, or even high-end flips, anything high-end. But we all know everybody's kids don't go to the best schools. You see what I'm saying? We all know that everybody doesn't live in the most convenient area. And those people have to pay rent. And it's okay that those people have to pay rent. But they need a landlord. And that's where we come in. And we can make solid profits in those areas. Right? And when they start saying things like demographic and ARV, which is a after repair value, right? Because a lot of times they try to do that with cash investors is they try to sell you on what it will be worth after you fix it up. Right. So they're like, oh, it'll be worth a hundred thousand, you know, ARV and the bank will lend you on that and all this other bullshit stuff. Um, And. That can be deceiving because the only value in the property is what you really could get for it, right? It's not what, what's on Zillow. It's not what somebody tells you it's worth. It's what somebody else would actually pay for it. And it's worth the actual rental incomes that come in every month. That's what it's worth, right? Not the after repair value or ARV and all these other funny little terms they try to throw around to confuse you. So as a cash buy and hold investor, we have to be careful of what we're doing, right? So if you spend 50000 on something, the demographic you're looking for is a demographic of person that has what they call a blue-collar job, right? We're not looking for someone that's working from home with a tech job at, at Facebook. 
That's not who we're renting to, right? So our demographic is going to be different than what the, I guess, the mainstream or the average real estate professional is going to want to push on us because we're not borrowing money, right, to purchase this. So we don't have to get these crazy rents in order to pay the mortgage and make money. So we're serving a different kind of demographic and community. It's just like on the streets, right? You know your product. You know what neighborhoods and what cities and what whatever you need to go to get that product off, right? Things are different in Baltimore than they are in New York, which is different in California. You know, Northern Cal, Southern Cal, Seattle, all these places are going to have different customer bases. And those different customers are going to have different taste. And that's what we need to be you know, aware of. And that's what demographic is and has to do with us as buy and hold investors. It's not about what's shiny. It's don't be an ego play investor, right? We don't want to buy things just because it's cool to show our friends or our family that's been doubting us the whole time. We want to buy things that are going to make money. The money in the bank account, they're not going to see regardless. They're just not. You know what I mean? So we can't buy things for them anyway. That's just silly. So I want everyone to really be careful and cognizant, right, of what we're doing. We're buying these properties so that in five years they're paid themselves off through rental income. That's why we're buying them. We're not buying them because people think they're pretty, right? We're buying them because they're safe. We're proud to own them. They're functional, right? They're clean. And we put our sweat equity and our money into them. And now someone is living there in a nice, safe home, raising their family and their world, paying us rent. And if we keep that going for five years, we should recoup our investment. That's why we're doing it. We're not doing it for ego play. So location, location, location might mean if your rental is around three factories an Amazon packing plant and four beauty salons, you might be in business. You really might be in business. It might not be that it's on the main strip. It might not be. It's in the best neighborhood of your city. That might not be your location, location, location. You might be around the corner from a grocery store, but it's the only grocery store within 20 miles. That would be the best location in that neighborhood. It just would. So, Don't let these terms and these little buzzwords like ARV, after repair value, demographic, and um, all these other terms that I can't really think of at the top of my head because I just block them out when they tell me. Don't let those discourage us from the very simple mission, right? We need to identify something we could purchase in cash. We need to know that we're going to be able to do the repairs on it over time. Right. With as little debt as possible. We know how that goes, but you're going to get into debt in a rental. That's fine. Right. But you have a plan for it. And then get it rented and recoup whatever debt that you took out for the renovation and recoup the original purchase price in five years. That's an amazing plan. Right. And so look for something that's in that sweet spot. Um, I think daddy should make a lot of money so we can 
have more properties and make way more money than we're supposed to because I think making money means that we can that we can expand more of our properties and then we can make more money by having um, better properties.